0: Once again, everybody, for those that are joining us in Overflow or watching online or watching later, it's good to see you as well. Like I said, my name is Rob and I serve as one of the pastors here at Solid Rock Community Church. And you've come in the middle of our series in Genesis. And we've entitled this series Genesis Stories from the Beginning because we're not going to go expository verse by verse. But we're going to take out big themes and big stories throughout this book to show exactly where we came from. What happened, why we're in the condition that we may be in this morning. But the biggest thing that I, I hope you remember is the fact that everything rises and falls on what we believe about what God did at the beginning of our time. And so, of course, we, we recognize and hopefully we do. Maybe, maybe we don't that God is above time and space. So when we talk about the way things work in our timeline, we always remember that God existed before the timeline and he'll exist at the end of the timeline. And so this has always been his story, not ours. And sometimes that's good for us to hear and have it reinforced, because a lot of times, especially the way the way I'm raised and the way that you were raised and the way that our kids are being raised and our grandkids are being raised We are coming into a society where everything has been so selfishly given that at this point, now, we don't even know what truth is sometimes. Like, if you you watch the news, you'll hear four different versions of what truth is based on the person who's commentating on the truth. So we don't know whether or not, you know, what, and now not only that, because of those four things that are being said on the news, then all of us decide to join one of the circles or camps of the people who are saying certain things. So now it's not even just that it's not even our truth, but we're taking the truth of someone else and we're saying this is our truth because they think like we do. So you see how bad it's getting in society. Now we have our truth, someone else's truth, but the but the only truth that really matters is the truth that's that has come from before time, and that's the truth that's in God's word. And you say, "Well, that's just a religious thing that you say." Logically, think about it for a second. If someone existed before time began, shouldn't we trust his timetable? Right. This is why we're we're very. Um, much in tune with what the Bible says about creation being, being created in six literal days. And it's very hard for our intellect, especially the longer we go in education, d- depending on what field we're in, it's hard to imagine that something as vast as the universe can be created in six days. And there's two ways that you and I can view that. We can view that as that being completely impossible or recognizing that the creator God is the one that does the impossible. It all comes back to what we believe about God and what we believe about creation. And so we spent some time talking about in the beginning and last week we we spoke about the fall of man, how everything changed when man and, and, and woman decided to fall to the temptation of eating just a single fruit that God said eat everything except one fruit you can't eat of, and they decided because of the temptation of, of, of this talking serpent who obviously was being controlled by Satan, the father of lies, they decide, you know what, maybe God didn't say that. Or oh, you know what, maybe it won't be that bad, and they started justifying and rationalizing why they could eat of this fruit, and they did, and everything changed at that exact moment. All of a sudden we went from being in this position as man and, and woman of, of being in a state of unconfirmed holiness, that at that point we were not separated uh, from the we were not separate, we were not separated to the world. We were separated to God. We had communion with God and as soon as that first sin entered the world, our relationship with God was ruptured. And the thing is, the Bible says later on, we know kind of a little bit further because we've read ahead. The Bible says that because of sin, sin entered through Adam into the entire world. So our entire DNA now includes this sinful nature that every single one of us, yes, even that cute baby that was just born, that is precious. She or he are a little rotten sinner. Every single one of us. You did not give birth to an angel. You gave birth to a demon. No, no, you didn't give birth. No, no, hold on, no. You didn't give birth to a demon. You, you gave birth to a, a sinful human being, all right? And you'll know, any of us that are parents know, that cute kid does not stay that little cute kid for long, right? And all of a sudden, you're dealing with big issues with your kids, and you're like, oh, man, I wish they were this little baby again. And no, 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 they are fully fledged, a member of sinful society like us. This fall was universal. This fall affected mankind. This fall affected the universe. It affected creation. It affected things physically, things emotionally. It affected, it affected everything. So much so that God tells them the judgment before he kicks them out of this garden of Eden that he made for them. He kicks them out right before he says, here's some things that are going to happen. He says, he says, for a woman, labor is going to be intensive and painful he says, "For a man working the field is now going to be rough." He says, "For for uh, for the the serpent, he'll no longer be the cunning animal that he is. He'll be slithering along the earth." And then he says in Genesis three fifteen, he says, "Well, here's what's going to happen: the offspring of the woman will have their heel bruised by the offspring of the ser- offspring of the serpent, but the offspring of the woman will crush the head of the offspring of the serpent." And this is the first time, and the only reason that we can devise what this means is because what happens later in scripture we know that sin has this timeline and has this this dna effect on mankind but there is this this spiritual realm beyond us where satan has been performing deeds throughout centuries to get the children of god and those coming to god to fall flat on their face and one day Right at, the, at, the, at 33 and a half years into the life of Jesus, it looks like Satan wins because Jesus is captured, he's tortured, he's put on a cross, and he dies. And it looks like the offspring of the serpent won against the offspring of the, of the woman. But we know as believers, and this is the most rejoiceful fact about being a Christian, is that three days later after Jesus Christ died for our sins, he rose again from the grave. And when he rose again from the grave, he did something that no other leader of a religious movement can do. Like, I mean, you can find the tombstone of Muhammad, you can find the tombstone of Buddha, but you can't find the tomb of Jesus. And if and, and there's like four of them that claim to be the tomb of Jesus, he's not in any of them. I mean, what do you do for an encore? Right? I mean, he rose himself from, so not only did he save us from our sins, he also gave us access to eternal life because when he died, he forgave us. And when he rose again, he showed us that he can forgive us and also give us eternal life. And so at Genesis 3.15 is very significant because the offspring of the woman, remember how Jesus Christ had the Holy Spirit, uh, was born of the Holy Spirit indwelling Mary and Mary giving birth uh, 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 by by uh, Mary being a virgin giving birth when he was born, that was the offspring of the woman who Crush the head. When Jesus Christ died on the cross and rose again, Satan was defeated, right? Completely defeated. So even back in Genesis 3, we have this, this connection to what's going to happen later. But Genesis 3 ends the story with Adam and Eve being kicked out of the garden Adam and Eve realizing that they were naked and so they tried to sew fig leaves together to hide from God. And God goes, why are you hiding? How did you know you were naked? Did you eat of the fruit? So God intervenes into their life and tells them, hey, you know, where are you? What did you do? And they confess to God. And so God tells them about this, this offspring of the woman coming. But then he, he, there are consequences. They're kicked out of the Garden of Eden. And, and God makes the clothes for them out of the skin of an animal. So Adam and Eve were the first creatures to publicly see something die. God didn't whip up animal skins. Something died and they took the skins of those animals. So from the very beginning, we see that the, the, the wages of sin is death. Something has to die because of our sin. And so even before the law, even before things were organized, the fact that God had to kill an animal to give them the skins shows that there is this, this penalty for sin, which is death. So quickly after, uh, Genesis chapter three, uh, they do follow the command to be fruitful and multiply and replenish the earth. And we find out that they had, uh, two twin sons, Cain and Abel. And most of us know the story of Cain and Abel, Abel, uh, gave the right type of sacrifice. So we see very shortly from an animal dying to provide the skins for Adam and Eve, this this institution of of something having to be sacrificed and offered in order to cover them for their sins was way before the law. People were giving sacrifices very early in human history in order to kind of get them to, to to realize the idea that something that was valuable, something that was alive, had to die in order to pay the price for their sins. And so throughout millennia, this is what brings them to the point that they when Jesus Christ comes on the scene he's called the sacrifice that God sends so this message is very early about sin leading to death and something having to die to cover them from their sins right so Abel uh, offers the right kind of sacrifice he offers the first of, of one of their, their their cattle the one of the best lambs that he could offer and so he sacrifices and 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 Cain was someone who was uh, someone who, who tended the field and instead of Asking someone for a lamb in order to kill, instead of sacrificing that, Cain gives a sacrifice of the first fruits, the first of uh, of all of the produce that, that comes out of the land. But God was very clear what was required was something dying to cover for sin, right? There are sacrifices that we could give. Like, you could say, well, man, that's that's the best apples I ever had. I mean, you, you you don't realize I could have sold this for this much. But God was very clear in his instructions on what was supposed to happen. And so Cain did not follow those instructions. So God literally tells Abel, I have accepted your sacrifice, and tells Cain he doesn't accept his sacrifice. Cain was mad. Cain was completely and totally just distraught because, once again, his brother did something better than him. And this is something that we also see that happens because of, of, of the fall. There are rivalries that wasn't there before. God talks about the rivalry between men and women that, you know, woman will, will, will desire after her husband, but the husband will always be the, 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 the head of the home. That, that started this rivalry. And so now we have uh, brothers that are are at war with each other. I'm not sure how much Abel knew that he was at war with his brother. But Cain was very upset at the fact that his offering wasn't uh, accepted. And Cain did something drastic. He kills his brother. He kills his brother. And God reaches out to Cain and goes, hey, where's your brother, Abel? Remember, God knows this stuff, right? Remember, just like he goes to Adam and Eve, he knows what happened. But God, aren't you glad that God confronts us with our sin? I mean, some of us are like, no, I wish God would never bring it up at all. You know, the only way that you have redemption is for God to bring up what you've done in order for you to recognize it and give you the chance to repent. See, God bringing it up gives you the chance to repent. Do you realize that God, if he didn't bring it up, we'd be left to our own way and we never would even have a chance to repent? Because everybody goes their own way. None of us go to God on our own without some divine intervention. None of us go to God on our own. We all, the Bible says, gone our own way and we'll continue in our sin and our filth until God intervenes. And God intervenes and tells Cain, hey, where's your brother? And he goes, am I my brother's keeper? He's like, no, but you're your brother's killer, right? I mean, I mean what, what a very sarcastic thing to tell God, right? Am I my brother's keeper? It goes back to his parents. Yeah, it was the woman you gave me. It was the serpent you created. Same thing. So God lets Cain in on a little secret and goes, hey, I see everything. I'm everywhere at the same time. I know exactly what you've done. And so here's the, the grace of God is that God doesn't kill Cain for killing his brother. But he tells him that he's going to be banished and he has to go live elsewhere. Him and his family will have to go somewhere else. And Cain says, hey, can you you just like make sure that I don't die? Because everybody hears what I've done. Like he goes, and God gives him grace. And whole nations come from the line of Cain. That's Genesis chapter 4. And what we see, just skipping ahead from Genesis chapter 4 to Genesis chapter 6, which is our text today, we see that man continues to slip and slip further into decay and corruption. Man left to their own devices, even, and I want to think about this for a second. Yes, they did not have the Bible, correct? But if you notice, Cain and Abel were able to directly speak to God. So we're living in a time frame where those who were around could literally talk to God and God would talk to them back. And, in the, and it says, even in these chapters, this is when men started calling upon the name of the Lord. So now we see that there's this rivalry. Now there's this division that even with, think about this. I mean, what do we say this one? Well, if God would just tell me to do something, if God would just speak audibly, I would always, listen, baloney. No, you wouldn't. You would for like a week. And then the first time that you didn't want to do something God said or that you wanted to do something that you know God wouldn't want, what do you do? You would go on your own way. So even in the the audible, present moment of God being in the room, so to speak, men were calling on the name of the Lord and people weren't calling on the name of the Lord. By the time Noah, chapter 6, happens, the world is at this point that we're going to see divine intervention again. So I, I know you've heard on the news. I know you've heard it you first with Christian circles, and now um, even in uh, NBC News has picked it up. And, and, I, and I debated telling you this because I just don't want to be another guy that's talking about it because everybody seems to want to have their own opinion. But something crazy is going on in Asbury at, at, at their school. It started with a simple message that wasn't really even a gospel message. Some kids started hanging out and praying afterwards, and it just grew and grew and grew. And, so, and now there's a point that there are like, there's chapels that night of 3,000 people in to, inside of town, outside of town, just praying. And, and they're calling it this Revival. And then you have some experts going, well, revival, you know, if you think about it, and you can just hear them in that nerdy voice like, well, excuse me, like, you know, revival takes years to figure out. And it's like, I'm sorry, I I preach every week to you that revival can happen right now in your heart. We don't have to wait for some metrics to tell us that revival happened. Revival can happen right now in your heart. And I'm praying for those students that it's not just something that showed up on TikTok and that's why they're there. I'm praying that something real is happening and it looks like something real is happening. But this is a moment of divine intervention that all of a sudden some kids were just praying and then God just intervened and started, and then it start, other people started catching this. It wasn't that they're catching a fad. It's that the spirit is literally speaking to them and people are being revived and people are, are repenting. And then you may call it a revival, whatever you want to recall. Something crazy and, and good is happening in Asbury, right? Like the news is talking about it. I mean, like, you know, literally saying this and everybody's saying, well, this is not, yo, let, let the kids praise and worship the Lord. I'm praying the same thing breaks out here too. I'm praying that relationships get restored. I'm praying for all that to happen here. So with this happening, God intervened. God intervenes in a way that causes people to be revived. But sometimes God has to intervene for our benefit when things aren't going well in our life. Correct? And some of us, we've experienced this. I've experienced I've shared with you. That from, uh, from about 2020 to the, to the time that I left my last church, I was burnt out and I was becoming a very carnal person and I wasn't relying on the spirit of God. And God had to intervene to the point that, you know, I had to like leave a ministry in order to heal and, and to repent and to, to be the place that I can be your pastor as a healthy person today. God intervened in a major way, and you don't realize it all the time that God does it, but God intervenes in your life in order for his his glory, and it's always for our good. And so we're going to see something that's pretty drastic in order for God to get glory and for our good. So I want you to go to Genesis chapter 6, and I want you to read with me just for a little bit. Let's all stand for the reading of God's word. We're going to begin in verse 1, Genesis chapter 6. Remember Cain kills his brother, right? He has to be he has to leave. Adam and Eve have a, a, another child called Seth, right? And this starts the timeline of where we are in human history. By the time we get to Genesis chapter 6, here's what's going on. When mankind began to multiply on the earth and daughters were born to them, the sons of God saw the daughters of mankind were beautiful. They chose they, they took any that they chose as wives for themselves. And the Lord said, My spirit will not remain with mankind forever because they're corrupt. Their days will be 120 years. Then Nephilim were on the earth both in those days and afterwards, and the sons of God came to the daughters of mankind who bore children to them, and these were powerful men of old and famous men. When the Lord saw that the human wickedness was widespread upon the earth and every inclination of the human mind was nothing but evil all the time, The Lord regretted that he made man on the earth, and he was deeply grieved. Then the Lord said, I will wipe mankind whom I created off the face of the earth, together with the animals, creatures that crawl, and birds of the sky, for I regret that I made them. Noah, however, found favor with the Lord. And these are the family records of Noah. Noah was a righteous man, blameless among all his contemporaries. Noah walked with God, and Noah fathered three sons, Shem, Ham, and Japheth. Now, the earth was corrupt in God's sight, and the earth was filled with wickedness. God saw how corrupt the earth was, for every creature had corrupted its way on the earth. Then God said to Noah, I've decided to put an end to every creature, for the earth is filled with wickedness because of them. Therefore, I'm going to destroy them along, uh, along with the earth. Make yourself an ark of gopher wood. Make rooms in the ark and cover it with pitch inside and outside. This is how you're going to make it. The ark will be 450 feet long, 75 feet wide, and 45 feet high. You are to make a roof, finishing the sides of the ark within 18 inches of the roof. You are to put a door on the side of the ark, and you'll make it lower, middle, and upper decks. Understand that I am bringing a flood, flood waters on the earth, to destroy every creature under heaven with the breath of life in it. Everything on earth will perish. But I will establish my covenant with you, and you will enter the ark with your sons, your wife, and your sons' wives. And you are to bring an ark... Um, Two of all living creatures, male and female, to keep them alive with you. Two of everything, from the birds according to their kinds, from the livestock according to their kinds, and from the animals that crawl on the ground according to their kinds. They'll come to you so that you can keep them alive. Take with you every kind of food that is eaten, gather it as food for you and for them. And Noah did this. He did everything that God had commanded them. My friends, this is the word of the Lord. Thanks for standing. You can be seated. All right, so anybody that's been in Sunday school knows this story, right? If you watched Gerbert when you were a kid, you know this story. The rains came down and the floods came up. I mean, you know you know this story. This is not like a new thing, right? We know exactly what happened in, in, in this entire story. And it all starts because God views the world and he goes, it's completely and totally corrupt. Now remember, this, people have been now building, real, establishing relationships with God. They had to go direct communication with God and still the world was falling apart and falling deeper into sin. And notice how God says it is. God's, God says in the very first verses about these relationships that, that people had with other people and he says that this is bad, this can't go on. But then he also talks about the entire creation being corrupted because of these relationships. And I'm telling you, sin affects, everything universally why are there storms why are there earthquakes why are all these because of the fall why do bad things happen to good people because of the fall god is sovereign over all but he gives us the opportunity to have free will and our free will leads us always to destruction we are we are not as good as we think we are And sometimes what we do is we rationalize, as long as I'm not as bad as this guy, then I'm okay. And not realizing the wages of every sin is death. Adam and Eve ate fruit. All right? So we're not on the scale like, well, I didn't kill somebody today, so I'm okay. They ate fruit. Sin is disobedience to God. Sin is everything that we think, that we say, and that we do that displeases God. That is what sin is, so big and small. Sin is the great equalizer. We all are guilty before God. And so imagine a society that continues to go down this path. And here's what God says. Here's the story that, that Moses writes down. So mankind began to multiply on the earth, and daughters were born to them. So this is brought up because, you know, it takes a man and a woman to create the next generation. So he's saying, okay, so their offspring is starting to happen. And it says the sons of God saw that daughters of mankind were beautiful and they chose wives for themselves. And God said that he wasn't happy with this, okay? So here's the thing. There is so much debate on who the sons of God are and who the daughters of mankind are. Here's what happened. Some people weren't supposed to be hanging out with some people. They hung out and they got married and God got ticked. So for most people, if you look at a literal and just a a, a plain view version of Scripture. So remember, we talk about the first week, that we try to do our best to take a literal interpretation. When we say literal, we mean a plain reading of the text. That's what literal means in, in, in uh, in biblical exegesis. We look at the plain reading of the text, right? And in the plain reading of the text, there were people who were called the sons of God, okay? Now... Later in the Bible, who are considered the sons and daughters of God? Boo boo. Us, those who receive Jesus Christ as their Savior. There's no reason why this doesn't mean the same thing back in Genesis chapter six. Some people believe that they're angels. Some people believe that they're demagogues. But the Bible never talks about there being some sort of hybrid between an angel and a man. Right? That's actually Greek and Roman mythology, guys. So the sons of God, at a plain view reading, are those who have done what? Established relationships with God. Remember, people started calling upon the name of the Lord. So a plain view reading is that the, the sons of God are, are people who were calling on the name of the Lord. So then, in contrast, daughters of mankind, if you're not called a son of God, but you're called mankind, then we can rationalize that mankind means those that have done what? Not called on the son of God. So what we're seeing is, and God even tells us this later, don't be unequally yoked with those that don't believe. What happened was we were seeing a lot of relationships being established between those who received God and those who didn't. And God was upset because they decided now to. So instead of marrying someone who believes like they do, they married someone who didn't believe like they did, and they bore children, which makes it even worse. He was showing, why did the earth get so exponentially bad? Because those who followed God started marrying and having family with those who didn't follow God, right? This is not an elitist statement or a purification thing, you know, only marry certain culture groups and all that. No, you and I should make it a point, especially as parents that we're we're leading our children to be entering into relationships and dating in a godly way so that they can marry someone who knows Jesus. That is our responsibility as parents. You go, well, that's their journey. Yeah, but you know what? The first 18 years, you were in charge of that journey. So when they turn 18, it doesn't make it not, not your fault. The Bible says the only time that someone's released from that, from that family, family bond is when they get married. So if you have a 35-year-old, he's not married, mom and dad, he's still your responsibility. Spiritually speaking, he is. That kid should get a job, you know. But you know what I mean? Like, it's still your responsibility. You can't go. As soon as they turn 18, it's not your fault anymore. It's not how it works. So you see these generations continue to go. And so it says in verse 4 that there were these nephilim that were on the earth. And if you look at how that word nephilim gets translated out, it could be translated out fallen ones. But we know, again, if there's no hybrids of angels and humans, there's no hybrids of demons and humans. But we do know in Scripture that demons have done what? Indwelt. People. So it looks like what's happening is that these, these Nephilim were people who were demon possessed. These were demon possessed people. But remember, Satan's not cunning. So not every demon's going to be like, I am a legion, we are many. No, some are going to sound like really, really smart, right? Look what it says in verse. And it says, these were powerful men of old, famous men. These men who were led by Satan, just like Satan indwelt the, the snake, right? The same thing is true. It looks like that these sons of God were marrying the daughters from like even this group of people. Which is, I mean, God's looking up there and he's like, bruh, really? Like, serious? But it got worse. Not only that, look how gracious God is. It, it goes on for a while. This is not like one and done. Like, it goes on for a while. And God says, and to the point that God sees in verse 5, that the wickedness was widespread. Right? And that every inclination of human the human mind was nothing but evil all the time. So it says this, wickedness was happening physically. But wickedness was starting intellectually and spiritually. That it went from the heart to the head to physically happening. And verse 6 says that God said that he cre- he regretted that he ever created man. So he says I'm going to wipe them all out. Verse 7, I'm going to wipe them all out. And I'm going to all the animals, creatures. And, and you're like, well, why do the birds have to die? Because remember, everything goes back to the fall. If mankind is wicked, everything else is also going to be taken into that. But verse 8 says, Noah found favor with the Lord. So it doesn't say a lot about Noah. In the New Testament, he's called the preacher of righteousness. He's someone that, someone that will wind up that, we know the story, builds an ark for 120 years. And it looks like, according to what it says in the New Testament, either people were asking, what are you doing? Or he was proclaiming, dude, a flood's coming. And no one listened. I mean, when you see an ark being built, I mean, how much hubbub has gone around town just because we're getting a family dollar? Hopefully, maybe, right? I mean, you see something being built. You're like, hey, what's that, right? So this guy, imagine this big ark is being built, in right, right smack dab in the center of your town. People are asking, what is this thing? It's going to flood. God's going to flood the earth. We're all going to die, dude. And they're like, what? And then what happened? No one believed Noah. Why? Because it was crazy? It was outlandish? No, because he kept his relationship and communication with God. They had the same opportunity and didn't. And because they didn't, God only at this point now is speaking to Noah. Think about how bad the earth has gotten, that everyone had this communication relationship. At the point that Noah comes on the scene, God now truncates his communication to who? One person. So... He tells Noah what's going to happen. He says, I've decided to put an end there. Verse uh, 13, verse 14, he says that he is going to uh, to start making an ark, right? So he says, hey, I'm going to save you and your family, but you need to make an ark. You're going to need to make, And he gives him the exact dimensions on how to make it. If you've ever been to the ark experience or encounter in, in, in Kentucky, you know how big this thing actually is. It's massive, right? And, and the way that God describes it, it's enough for him, his family. He gives them a way to make sure all the animals, every species can be in there. Uh, vegetation can be in there. Uh, I mean, everything is in there to the point that like, if you go to the Ark experience, it'll tell you how they poop too. I mean, I just, to me, that was, I had a kid ask me that last week. How did they poop on the Ark? I'm like, go to Kentucky and find out. I don't know, dude, but like there's a way and they, and they, and they explain it there, but either way, this thing actually happened. Why? There's going to be a flood and sometimes guys, I want you to hear me and I love you. Don't focus on the things that we make to describe what happened. Like going to the Ark is a great thing, but don't start worshiping that ark, okay? Your, your Christianity is between you and Jesus, not you going to an ark, okay? It's the best that they could do, but it's not, it's not the real thing. You know what I'm saying? Like, make sure we're not just becoming like, oh, have you, if you're a Christian, you should have been to the ark. Really? You know, no. Like, you should know the story of the ark because it's not about the ark, it's about the flood. You know, why did the ark have to be because of the flood? Remember, you have to recognize where we are with, if you are if you are without Christ or you're someone who's backsliding right now, the problem is why the flood is coming, not because of the ark, okay? So uh, repentance has to come before, before salvation, okay? We have to realize why this flood was happening. And he's going to flood everything. So, so here's the thing. We talked about this in, in, uh, when we talked about creation for a second. Now remember how we talked about how vegetation existed. There was this big vapor canopy. It was like, purpo- it was, it was like San Diego everywhere in the world, 72 and balmy everywhere, right? Everything was perfect. Things grew. Now it looks like God is going to release the waters from the sky. This vapor canopy is going to be gone. They're going to get rain from the first time. And God is good. The Bible says he opens up the deep to allow the water to go even deeper further down, which makes the, the, the flood waters come up more. So God is going to do something that he's never done before. So when Noah tells people that there's going to be an ark, he's also telling people that there's going to be rain and they have never heard of rain before. But again, because you're not in communication with God, things that are impossible don't seem like they can actually happen because you don't talk to God. God is the God of the impossible. Think about how God does this. God says, you're going to make an ark so big and you're also going to bring every two living creatures. And, and the Bible says in, uh, in verse 19 at the end, it, they're going to come to you so that you can keep them alive. Right? So think about this. God not only communicates with mankind, God is over his creation. He is going to send a male and female of every species to the ark to go inside. And they're going to listen to Noah. Wild animals are going to listen to Noah. They're going to get right on. That must have been such a sight. And he tells him to take food of everything that's eaten. So there's some work involved in this besides building the ark. Gather food. And Noah did this. He did everything that God commanded him. And I want you to just center in on verse 22 when it says that God, he did everything that God commanded him. This is what a relationship with God that's flourishing looks like. If disobedience is what sin is, obedience has always been the ve- very best way to show that you and I believe obedience to God's word is shows whether you follow Jesus or not. That's why I make it so, I, I emphatically tell you guys almost every week, if not every week, if you're not in the word, you're not going to be able to obey God. Remember, we obey what the word of God says, not what, over even what society says. Because there is, you know, there is a moral guide to society that we know that some things are right and some things are wrong. But there are things that we should be understanding that it's wrong, not because society says it's wrong or society says it's right. It's right and wrong because the Bible says it is. Right? Because as you've seen, society has changed. And things that we would never think of doing are now becoming normal. Normal. And it's getting worse and worse. Society is getting darker and darker, just like in Noah's day. So uh, let's go to uh, the, the next chapter then. So God tells Noah, let me get there. Verse, uh, chapter 7, verse 1. Then the Lord told Noah, Enter the ark, you and your household, for I've seen that you alone are righteous performing this generation. All right, so think about it. God is making that kind of statement. He's not being outlandish. God, God, is, God is also a perfect statistician. He knows exactly the numbers. He knows demographics. He knows everything. God says, you guys are the only ones. Think about that. They're the only ones. And in the entire earth, God is saying, it's only you and your family. Right? This is like a super version of, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. It literally is just them. And so he says, so think about that. Now, why does God repeat this at the end, after the 120 years? Because God is gracious. And God gave them an extra century to listen and view what Noah is doing. Don't you think God could have said, hey, we're going to make that ark a little bit bigger. There are people coming to me right now. Never happened. So at the end of the 120 years, he basically says, hey, it's still just you and your family. So sometimes things get so bad and rough in our life and we get to the place that we are so far removed from God that God has to intervene. And God had to intervene on a worldwide scale. And the thing is, though, we can look at that as that God being this big, mean God. But the fact that you and I are alive in this room is because God saved one family. Every single one of us in this room either come from Shem, Ham, or Japheth, Noah's sons. So the fact that you and I are here today is the grace of God because they, back then, none of them deserved it. Noah didn't even deserve it. The reason why Noah was saved is because he had a relationship with God. Noah was giving sacrifices to God, which means Noah realized he was what? A sinner. And realized the only way to keep that relationship with God was to continue to give sacrifice so Noah followed what he was supposed to. Noah wasn't perfect, but Noah had a relationship with God. None of us in this room will ever be perfect, but each and every one of us can have a relationship with Jesus. We can. And that is what the difference is. So when you look at what he tells them to do, so he... um Verse 2, he talks about taking all of the animals. He gives them a certain number to take. And he says at verse 6 Noah was 600 years when the flood came and water covered the earth. So Noah, his sons, his wife, and his sons' wives entered the ark because of the flood waters. And it says, All the animals came in. Seven days later, the flood waters came on the earth. So Noah and his, and his family entered the ark. Though animals are coming in. And just as God says it was going to happen, it happened and it did. Look at verse 11. In the 600th year of Noah's life, in the second month, on the 17th day of the month, on that day, all the sources of the vast watery depths burst open. The floodgates of the sky were opened and rain fell on the earth 40 days and 40 nights. So I, I, wonder, I wonder if you noticed what it says there in verse 11. It's very, it's very specific on when this flood happened, correct? Okay. Again, like I told you, a plain reading of the text is what's always valued. This is why we go back to Genesis 1 and we say that the earth was created, the universe was created in six literal days because just a few chapters later, it's literally written down on this year, on this day, on this month, at this time frame. If we're going to take the Bible as plain as what it says, we have to do that from the beginning to the end. Unless God says something different, like a day, you know, like in this chapter, a day you know, this is really what happened. So this happened 600 years into Noah's life. And you may say, why do people live so long? And why don't they live so long right now? Number one, obviously, because sin and it's getting worse. So human beings live less. But not only that, how do you think you're going to replenish the whole earth if you die when you're 70, dude? You need time, Right. I mean, to me, it's like, dude, 600 years of, like, having kids? Yikes! I mean, like, what was Christmas like? At, I mean, that's crazy, right? I mean, like, man, I mean, going to the grocery store, I mean, that's like nuts. But they lived that long. Why? In order for this to be accomplished. God, remember, God is even sovereign over the days of our life. And he says in the 600 years that this thing happened, the floodgates were opened up. So water comes up from below, the thing, there are cracks, and then water comes down from the vapor canopy, and it rained for 40 days and 40 nights. And it says the only people that were in the ark were the animals and Noah's family. And verse 17 talks about 40 days on the earth, the water increased and lifted the ark so it rose above the earth. The water surged and increased greatly on the earth. The ark floated on the surface of the water. Think about how much water has to be for this huge ark to float and and, and stay floating. Verse 20 says the mountains were covered. Verse 21 says every creature perished, those that weren't on the ark. It says that in verse 22, everything with the breath of the spirit of life in its nostrils, everything on dry land died. That means... And I think about the way the spirit led Moses to write that verse. It says that those that have the spirit of life, who's who? Humans. Remember, we're the only ones that had the breath of life blown into us by God. Humans died that day. Not just the earth, not just the mountains were gone. At that day, everyone died. What God said was going to happen, happened. This is the thing about divine intervention that I need you all to realize. God's will is going to be done whether we want it to or not. I mean, you could try to fight it. You can try to say, I don't need it. But when God intervenes, he does. When he says he's going to, he's going to and he's going to do it in the perfect way that he wants it to be done. You say, well, God is being really mean here. Remember, you are a descendant of Noah. He wasn't mean to you. He was gracious to you. He was gracious to me. God is a good God. God got the glory, but it was definitely for our good if we're sitting here right now. So God saved a remnant. And you'll see this this theme throughout Scripture, that God always saves a remnant. Even when the nation of Israel falls, God saves a remnant. Even when the world goes, goes to pot, God saves a remnant. Right now, those of us who have received Jesus Christ, we're the remnant. You notice, you notice, not everybody comes to Jesus. Even on a campus where, where revival is, is possibly breaking out and people are being revived, it's only three thousand in a town of what, you know, in a, in a state of what, in a country of what. It's still a drop in the bucket. But notice that that one drop in the bucket, Noah, led to us being born one day. Led to us being have the, the opportunity to receive Jesus Christ one day. Because God, even when He intervenes, He's merciful. Chapter 8 talks about God. I love this. God remembered Noah as well as the wildlife and all the livestock that are within the ark. God caused a wind to pass over the earth and the waters began to subside. The sources of in the watery depths and the floodgates of the skies were closed and the rain from the sky stopped. The water, in chapter 8, verse 3, the water steadily receded from the earth. and By the end of 150 days, the water had decreased significantly. The ark came to rest on the seventh month on the Mount of Ararat. So the Bible talks about the, you know, God remembered Noah. And I don't, I don't think it's a shock that God remembered Noah, but it's a very human way that the Spirit led Moses to write what was happening. That who knows in the ark, did Noah go, hey, did God forget about us? Like, you know, we're still drifting. I mean, it's, it's not easy living on a boat that long with all these animals. I mean, it, it saved them, but I'm not sure it ever says that it was a comfortable journey during, during that, that flood time. And you may have forgotten. Maybe, maybe you're thinking this morning, maybe God has, has forgotten you. Maybe you've asked for something. Maybe you're going through a flood right now. Maybe right now your life is like this big storm and you're wondering whether or not God remembers you or not. I'm telling you, he does. The fact that you're riding the storm right now means that God provided a boat or an ark for you. The fact that you're living in the midst of turmoil right now, notice the catchphrase, the, the, the key phrase there, you're living in the turmoil. You're still here. You're still kicking because of the grace of God. Don't, don't realize, your life is so precious to God that even in the midst of the, of, the, of the greatest internal storms or outward storms that are happening, God has still provided an ark of safety for you. For those of us who know Jesus, Jesus is our ark. He's the one that, that keeps us in the storm of everything being destroyed around us. Jesus is the one that keeps us eternally secure. He's our ark. So for you, God has provided all these arks, all these things for you, to realize in the midst of a storm, in the midst of a worldwide catastrophe. And some of us, when we look at what we're going through in the world, it is worldwide. It feels like, it feels like the floods, the flood water is just coming up, and it is, the rain is going nowhere. If I asked some of you how you're doing right now, you would say the water is about right here. For some of you, the water has already gone above your head and you're drowning. And I'm here to tell you, God remembered Noah, he will remember you. God sent a rainbow to tell them as a sign, as a promise, that he would never again flood the earth. And rainbows are something that we see all the time after it rains. God even shows us the same promise that he showed Noah millennia ago to say that he's still there and that he's still faithful. And for some of us today, maybe this is the first time you realize that God has been faithful to allow you to hear how much he loves you and I want you to realize you can receive Jesus Christ. That ark... That'll not only help you ride through the storm, he'll help you cross this bridge from this life into eternity on your way to heaven instead of being separated from God like every other human creature in Noah's day.